0: This is Sierra Iveson
1: and I'm Kevin Merritt and we are the hosts of Muse, a brand new musical theater podcast where we explore the storylines, songs, characters, and themes of your favorite shows. Well, not exactly. You've probably never heard of these shows. They're brand new and still in development and we're betting they're about to become your favorites.
0: We are digging deep by going straight to the source The writers. Plus, each episode will have exclusive live-in-the-studio performances, table readings of the script, and whatever else comes up. We plan to give you an in-depth look at the process of developing a new musical by allowing you to peek behind the curtain to see and hear why these stories need to be told.
1: The Muse is brought to you as a collaboration between
0: the National Alliance for Musical Theater
1: and One Foot Productions.
0: The Muse podcast may contain adult language and themes. Keep that in mind when listening. So let's get started. Today, we are so excited to welcome Jason Schaefer, Harris Duran, and Arthur LaFrance Bacon of Bleeding Love. Welcome.
2: Woo! Woo! Woo!
0: Uh, but can each of you introduce yourselves and let us know what your role is on Bleeding Love?
3: I am Jason Schaefer. I am the book writer of Bleeding Love.
4: I'm Harris Duran. I wrote the lyrics. And I am Arthur LaFrance Bacon. I am the composer of the music.
0: So this is the first time of The Muse we are recording in self-isolation. So you may uh, discover that as we go along. And we're so excited to welcome you and your perfect show for this setting. And today we are super fortunate to actually be sharing clips from a, a podcast radio play version of Bleeding Love. Can you give us tell us what we are actually listening to today?
5: So this is a podcast that we did... Uh, that's airing right now, that you can subscribe anywhere podcasts are found. That is uh, the entire show uh, with this extraordinary cast that we um, uh, recorded most of the dialogue uh, in isolation from people's homes. Um, The majority of the score was recorded uh, a few years ago in the studio. Uh, And so it's a combination of these two things where we decided, because the show is about a world where... Uh, it's too dangerous to go outside. It'd be perfect to release during this, because uh, this is the moment.
0: Bleeding Love was at the National Alliance for Musical Theater Festival in 2012, so you've been. we were so fortunate you're sharing sort of this uh, radio play version of the show with us. I'm so happy to get to know it. So, uh, Kevin, should we kick it off, or should we... Let's introduce your cast that we're going to hear today.
5: So it's Sarah Styles as Bronwyn. Tony Vincent as Puppy, Annie Golden as Madam Floy, Rebecca Naomi Jones as Lolly, Taylor Trench as Sweet William, and Mark Kudish as The Super. Ooh. Yeah, dream cast. <laughs> and I would also add that Sarah uh,
3: played Bronwyn in at Nant uh, when we premiered there. So yes. she's been uh, doing the role this entire time.
0: Oh, I love that. Full mm-hmm. circle. All right. Well, without further ado, should we, should we hear the, the opening of the show?
3: What do you need to know
1: before you, before you start?
5: I think the only thing that you need to know is something that you would know if you entered the theater, which is that it's night, there's snow everywhere, and that you, there is a building, and it's in a uh, metropolis, and you see Bronwyn, our protagonist, playing cello, looking out her window.
6: Dangerous, some might say You could break your neck going from there to here I say there to here Because no one's gone from here to there in a long time No one leaves this building nowadays It's called the Halcyon A word my wife told me when she was living A word that meant peaceful, happy Halcyon don't mean that no more not to us, anyhow.
2: Each day we
7: wake, there's snow. Daybreak, midnight, and noon. It's the same moon. Sky is falling. Nature's starving. No trees, no grass.
0: Wow I like the lyrics are always good but these lyrics from <sighs> isolation are terrifying a can of meat actually kind of sounds good
5: <laughs> yeah 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 the um a can of meat now would be a treat now as you're like opening yeah. spaghetti spaghettios in real life yeah, here we are. I
0: know. And it makes me think of that um, <laughs> video of the man opening like a canned cheeseburger. Have you yeah. seen that going around the internet? Ooh. Oh,
5: no, but we have <laughs> canned cheeseburger leader. in the show. Yeah.
0: You're so ahead of your time. I've now seen <laughs> videos of it. Yeah.
5: Yeah.
1: Do you want to talk a little bit about the characters that we've been introduced now? So there's this um, narrator character who uh, does this narrator flow through the show? Is that is that just for the podcast? Is that something um, also in the in the stage show?
3: The narrator that, uh, does actually narrate the prologue. So, the section you heard is in the stage show, uh, and he narrates the epilogue. But for purposes of the podcast, his narration actually extends throughout the entire show uh, so we could capture things. And uh, his character is the superintendent of the building where the majority of the characters are self isolating in this post apocalyptic world.
1: Got it. And can you describe this building? Because I loved when I read the script, your description of this. I mean, it was so from every floor. I mean, you'll have to go through the whole thing. But give us a little bit of of taste of what this building is like.
3: Yeah, it's uh, so it's like a it's like a typical kind of brownstone building you might see in New York. Only uh, I think I say it's from the from uh, the Victorian era, but. Everyone's basically left, so this one's kind of surrounded in barbed wire um, to protect it from dangerous people that might be roaming outside. Um, it's it's uh, yeah, I describe who lives on each floor. We have we have a greenhouse on the roof. We have Madame Floyd and Bronwyn uh, in the top floor. We have a mysterious kind of empty middle floor, and then we have Mark Kudish's character. Uh, And his son, Sweet William, on the bottom floor and then a basement where, uh, Mark's character, the super spends his time polishing rifles.
0: And so today we're going to mostly focus on, on two characters, uh, Puppy and Bronwyn, but just to give a, can you give us a flavor of who they are and sort of the conflict at play before we head into the next clip? Sure.
5: So, um, so, so Bronwyn at the top, she's playing cello and she's looking out her window as she always does. She plays cello and she looks out her window at a world where nothing happens other than it, it snows. Right? And how because old is Bronwyn? 16.
0: Okay. Oh, tough age to be stuck inside.
5: But she, yes. But she has not been outside since she was four. And so um, her 16 is a pretty naive 16. Right. So she basically. Wait, so 16 she, going on 12. Exactly. And so, and she, you know, what she knows about love is just from books, you know. Um, and so she. And she her and
3: Floyd, who has trained her in very weird ways probably.
5: Yeah. Mm. Yes. And so um and so that's she has this idea of love that is detached from uh reality and it is sort of a strange sort of french fable kind of uh concept of love. Um Like what and- sort of books was she
0: reading about love at her aunt's? Like she she just has like the the like love novellas her aunt has and that's what's taught her or <laughs>
3: It's fairy tales, storybook, kind
5: of romance type of things. Um, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, and so one day she's looking out her window and she sees someone and it is, she sees Lolly and puppy um, who are sort of uh, Lolly's, this uh, dominating force over puppy and um, and she is, controls the relationship, and he loves her, and he will do anything uh, to prove that love, and she makes him prove that that love.
0: Ooh, so like puppy is like he is a pu- he is sort he's of a, a puppy to her. He is, okay.
5: He's a puppy to her, and so Bronwyn witnesses this, um, and it's the first time she that she is seeing love in real life, and it's not like what she thought it was. And you, in the prologue, there's this incident of where uh, Lolly says to puppy, I want you to prove your love to me. Um, And she says, I want you to get me a rose, only nothing grows anymore in this post-apocalyptic world, right? And so this thing that she's asking for is something impossible. Bring me a real live rose when nothing grows anymore. And so Bronwyn witnesses this, she pities him, she falls in love with him and decides I'm going to somehow get a real life rose for him so that he can have love.
0: Oh, and so not like, so he could love me, but like, so I can help him have it.
5: Yes. So somehow, so she has fallen in love with him and she, she thinks that by her sacrifice of her own love, get, getting him to love her. Uh, getting her to love him, rather that somehow that she it has completed some some sort of. It is
0: very fairy tale storybook in a weird way. Mm, yeah,
5: mm-hmm.
0: it's like Sleeping Beauty, but the prince then leaves.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 yeah.
0: All right. So, what do we need to know? So, we're gonna we're gonna head into a song called Twilight that that Bronwyn sings. What do we need to know about where she's at in this moment?
5: So, um, the thing about. The adults in the show, so Madame Floya and the Super, they're they're old school in that um, they're fear based. If I terrify you about the outside, then you will be safe. I show love by instilling fear in you because then you'll be protected, and that's them loving their their children, right? And so Brahman has grown up being terrified of the outside world. It's all dangerous. Um, it's all outlaws, hooligans and wild drug fiends is, is what uh, the hook and is. And it's always dark. And it's always dark and it's, it's always night, it's always dark um, and it mostly snows. And so it's a dangerous world outside and she can't, so she's terrified of going outside. And so the setup to this song is, she has seen, you know, puppy from her window and she decides I'm gonna go outside and, and maybe sh- who knows what. But she goes down the stairs toward the door, the front door of the building, and she um, peeks outside. And it's this moment of terror of what is this on the other side of the door? Can I step on the other side? Um, and she testing
0: those boundaries.
5: Yes, and she also remembers what she saw when she, right before right.
4: she went in the.
5: Right. And so this is her. She hasn't been out since she was four. And in that moment of coming inside when she was four, the last time she was outside, she maybe might have maybe saw the last little bit of sun before it never existed again. Right. Which looks like twilight to her because with, with, yeah. it was so faded. And
3: we're going to hear in this section also the badass girlfriend played by Rebecca Naomi Jones. Uh, and Lee, and uh, Bronwyn has seen basically a breakup and she's seen uh, Lolly leave puppy stranded in the snow, which is what she's going out to investigate.
6: Bronwyn creeps down the stairs to the ground floor in the vestibule. She tentatively opens the exterior door and almost, almost. Steps
7: outside.
8: When I walked up to this stoop For the first time and the last When I was nearly four I looked back from this door And I think I saw I think... No, I know I saw I think twilight I dream one day I'll see again, maybe just one fleck and hope someday. Will come again Through the clouds and through the dreck Somehow in the air Magic will be near And then through the darkness will appear A tiny, tiny speck of twilight the light would spread across the sky and gently melt the earth. And then instead we won't ask why, we'll just enjoy A lab.
6: On the fire escape of the burnt-out tenement across the street, a badass babe sucks on a lollipop.
8: I know! I'm this total badass babe. That don't mean you gotta run from me. I can be kind as a kitten. when I want. What's wrong? Why don't you step outside? You have a definite look. I've been cultivating it since birth, baby. Are you an outlaw or a hooligan or a wild drug fiend? Yeah you're a gawker what gawk 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 i saw you up in that window gawking that's not true i it's cool baby i like putting on a show but show's over folks why do you keep looking around are you expecting someone expecting someone (laughs) me (laughs) where's that guy my ex, that punk skinhead? Ha, he's not even a true skinhead. He likes his hair too much to shave it off, so he uses a number three clip guard. Loser. I booted him. He's gone? I hope his blood freezes. And if you spy him with your little gawker eyes, tell him not to come around here no more, because I'm not never, ever taking that sucker back. No.
7: Shoot.
6: Bronwyn watches his puppy in his trapper trooper hat <laughs> lumbers through the snow gulping gulps from a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> Lally,
7: Lally, times I'm sorry.
6: whiskey over his body, then smashes the bottle on a dumpster.
7: Watch as I cut my arm up, Ah! who needs arms when my heart's got wings? Oh, this stings, doing the other vein now, Ah! who needs blood when my heart don't beat
6: her lolly and flings the stick in the air. She slips through the tenement window, bolting it shut behind her. And Puppy collapses in the snow.
7: Leave me for dead. Let the snow turn red. Let it tattoo the earth. So when you walk by, Someday you might cry for my days full of pain. Let my blood fall like rain. Let my blood fall like rain.
6: Bronwyn peeks out from the Halcyon vestibule.
1: Oh. Uh, okay. That was first of all an incredible performance. <laughs> oh yeah. <totally. laughs> oh my god. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, just the clarity. <laughs> it's like I'm listening to sticks or something like oh, that. Oh no, he's, he's
5: <laughs> he his voice is unbelievable. Yeah. Astounding. Yeah. Astounding. Yeah. And
1: I'm going to say, too, that Puppy has some serious codependency.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: And I love how the whole show for me, you, you guys walk this sort of amazing line between being incredibly literal while also... <laughs> Deeply metaphoric. Like we 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 get both of those things all the time. Yeah. And,
1: and there's and there's a uh, the sh- uh, yeah. We're gonna talk about this later. But the, the comedy. There's just some great lines in here that you know. This is just, a this but, is a
5: comedy number. That they, like yeah. when it's performed on stage, this is a funny this is a funny song because he's actually like really bad at cutting himself. It really hurts. <laughs> he's not really willing to. And he's just like naked and there's blood and it's a mess. And and her reaction to it is also part of the song, which is like this again, like she, she's like, you know, he's like, he's he's slashing himself and she could, she throws her, her stick at him. She's like, you know, so it's like this crazy contrast of it's so emotional and she is so blase about it. And so it's like this strange, comedic
1: song. Well, and I love how he's not a true skinhead because he uses the number three. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
2: so,
1: yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. Come on, I mean, even <laughs> I use a zero. <laughs>
0: I would love to ask you about your naming methodology for the show because, like, I, I love that. Like, so super lolly puppy. At this point in the show, I know exactly why they have those names. Where are those neat Were those they're like given to them by their mom? Sort of names, or are those like their names in this post-apocalyptic world where you can be whoever you're going to be.
3: I, w- I don't, I think Bronwyn was given her name. Floyd was probably a given name, but, uh, and William is. So you have those three, but, but I think, uh, I, I, all the names were evolved over the years uh, with the, with the show. Um, but yeah, I think it's a post-apocalyptic world and, and that's just who they are.
5: Most of the time. Puppy's a nickname. Lolly's a nickname. I was looking for, um, uh, like an early demo of "Bleeding Love," and it's like "Lula, Lula," and I was like, "Lula, who's Lula?"
3: Yeah, I think actually I found the the old document that I originally sent you guys, and and Bronwyn was like Polly or something different. Yeah, so uh, the names were
0: awesome. Yeah. I I love it. I'm I'm gonna start thinking about my post-apocalyptic nickname. <laughs> yeah. I, I love right?
3: Yeah. And in terms of
1: the the musical styles, this is a really put playing this whole scene. You know, is a really great great contrast. So I'm I'm curious, when you were writing the show, did you have something in mind uh, as musical inspiration, or was it? Um... At our
3: first musical discussion, one of the things we talked about was mixing rock, classical, and kind of a Broadway sound. Yeah. Uh, the characters kind of broke down in a pretty clear way. Um, so it was always this idea to have a very eclectic score.
4: Yeah. I think me, the musical styles are just, it's what I grew up doing. I just so much rock and pop growing up. And then I did study classical and played so much Rachmaninoff and Ravel. Um, I'd say rock is the clip. That's, I was in a sign rock band. I wasn't in a sign classical band, but how lucky I am that these characters, you know, can uh, express themselves with the different styles. And so that's so much fun for me. And it's it's, it's just wonderful.
1: Yeah. So getting back a little to the story, um, I mean, this must be quite an intense scene for Bronwyn to to witness. I mean for so <laughs> someone who's you know, shelter yeah. It's just like, you know it's like now you know why she's so confused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What what happens here? What how does she how does she take this and where does where does this go?
3: She brings Puppy into the building because uh, she sees him as distraught and uh, and wants to help. Um, and also, he's bloody and virtually naked, um, and he also is uh, puking. So uh, she takes him in <laughs> to get cleaned up. and uh, they, She hasn't learned yet in life this is the exact person not, not to bring to, yeah. into <laughs> house. yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: she'll learn, she'll uh, learn for sure.
3: So she takes him into the building and uh, we've set up that she's confused about what love is. And the next scene that we're going to look at is actually a conversation between Bronwyn and Puppy as she... Uh, Let's him get cleaned up, uh, and they talk about their different views of love.
8: May I take your hat?
3: My trooper, trapper, trapper, trooper hat.
8: I'm preparing you a bath. You can't wear a hat in the bathtub.
7: Huh, you're nice. What makes you nice when I'm so disgusting?
8: Just am, I guess.
6: Puppy removes his precious trapper trooper hat and hands it to Bronwyn. You want to touch my head? Why? Girls like to do that.
8: Um, your bath's ready.
6: As Puffy strips out of his clothes and slides into the tub, Bronwyn hides the Trapper Trooper hat beneath a cushion in the settee.
7: You should have touched it when you had the chance.
8: What? You're staring
7: at my head,
6: man.
8: Why'd you shave it?
7: Okay. So I'm combing my hair one day. I had great hair. Lolly sees me and goes, Spending all that time in front of the mirror... You love your hair more than me. Well, one of them had to go.
8: Ah. Excuse me for saying, but that lolly, she seems like a real stinker.
7: Who's big and bad? I am. I'm a big, bad baby. I was her time. (laughs) And I ruined everything. I I love
5: her.
8: I don't think love's supposed to hurt so much.
5: What do you know about it? Uh, Have you ever, even ever been kissed?
8: I've basically never been outside this building, but I've seen a lot.
5: Love's a razor. Slice and open my veins.
8: <laughs> ah! Oh, don't cry.
7: My heart's like completely mangled, and I got no hair. I gotta cry. I can make it better. Gold.
8: Okay, maybe not me, but, but my music can. Let me get my cello.
7: I'm gonna be sick again.
8: They say music's good for the heart.
7: Yeah.
0: I'll clean that up later. <laughs> oh, Bronwyn. Oh, wow. she, she had her Cinderella moment. Instead of a shoe, she stole his, his Trapper Trooper. His hat.
1: Yeah, Yeah. What, what is this? So am I the only one who doesn't know what that hat is? Did I miss something? Uh, um, trapper the, trooper, trooper.
0: The beauty of not recording in studios, you can Google Trapper Trooper. Well,
1: <laughs> is it a type of hat? It's, a real type of hat. It's like a hunting a hat, hat thing with with the flaps. Oh, I think I know what type of hat this is. Okay, I didn't know that was that was called that. That's great. I actually thought you had made that up. I'm like, what a wacky name for a hat they made up.
0: <laughs> Truth um, is stranger than fiction, Kevin. Yeah, right. Especially when it comes um, to hats.
1: I was wondering as I was, I was as I was listening to this, what how old puppy? What is there? A, what's the age difference between puppy and Bronwyn
3: and? That's not specified, but uh, Sweet William is probably about Bronwyn's age, maybe slightly older, and Puppy's slightly older than that. We don't. Uh, Bronwyn's age is kind of spelled out in the show. No one else's age ever ever comes up.
1: She's been in this house since she's about four years old. The only male figures she knows are Sweet William, his dad, the super, who you know is is an old, older gentleman who's a little intense uh, and <laughs> and puppy who's also super intense in a different way um but she doesn't have a lot of context to know you know and she's she's at an age where yeah everyone in the
3: world though is kind of super intense uh yeah. even all all the characters are 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 intense in fact she's the most um She's the most kind of normal i guess uh but she has plenty of quirks
0: and i was gonna say too we're not really seeing the sweet william side of this but bronwyn's actually sort of the center of her own love triangle a little bit Mm -hmm. right because because sweet Sweet william is sweet on bronwyn Mm -hmm. um he shares his glue with her in a scene we missed
5: (laughs) Uh uh-huh
0: Um, and so, so Bronwyn then, is she just not, is she not, um, is she not seeing the fairy tale in Sweet William or is she clueless to Sweet William and, and like Puppy is the first man she's ever considered having feelings for? Yeah. I mean, he's more like a brother.
5: Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's kind of strange. Um, and he's also, you know, has also grown up in this building. So is also, um, not evolved not like mature so is childlike they're both sort of childlike
0: okay Um, yeah so puppy is really like whoo
5: man's is is. so after
1: this scene he he pukes and and then you know he says something about
5: he's he's hoping to find a a rose and, and and on the shelf in this flat is a plastic rose and so he gets all excited he wants this plastic rose and she doesn't want to give it to him because, you know, it's not live. He needs a, a real rose. But also if she gives it to him, then it'll be complete and he'll have no reason to spend any time with her. So she doesn't want to give up the rose. And so then she sings a song called Plastic Rose. Um, and she does eventually give him the plastic rose, which he then immediately takes and runs to Lolly who rejects it for being plastic. And at, and at that point, Bronwyn, she watches that from her window because this all happens on, on their balcony, their fire escape. And Bronwyn calls out to him while he's crying in the snow that she prom- she'll get him a real live rose.
0: So I see this like very Romeo and Juliet thing happening. She's on her balcony promising things that are impossible. Yeah. All right. Okay. And so I also have to note too, just because again, here, here we are in present day. I love that her indoor hobby is the cello. You know, I'm trying to come up with indoor hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten to know every neighbor who has musical inclination. Cause there's just no way to not hear them practice in, in this present day. So yeah. I, I like imagining that, that he's like, yes, I got to get in on the cello. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so Bronwyn, makes the 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 fatal sort of uh um i don't know what you want to call it but she promises this real rose which then sets her off on this on this yeah. path so um,
5: what who's going to help her get this rose what happens so next? up on the roof is this um is this greenhouse right where um <laughs> how convenient <laughs> yeah. of, of course
1: <laughs> yeah because every brownstone in post apocalypse world yes. has <laughs> a
5: and so we we come to find out that uh uh, this greenhouse used to back, you know, back when the world used to have plants and and sun. Um, Bronwyn uh, Sweet William's mother had this beautiful greenhouse uh, that she tended to, and everyone and she was very open, and she let the world come in, and you know everyone came up to that greenhouse. So Bronwyn convinces Sweet William, who has a crush on her, a big crush, to sneak up to the greenhouse, right? And so he has a key that he stole from his father. And they sneak up to the greenhouse, and because he's like, "Oh, up there, everything's up there. All, all the flowers are up there." And and she shows up, and everything's dead, right? right? And so, uh, Sweet William gets mad, and he starts singing to the plants. And she's like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "My mother used to sing to the plants." Um, and so she goes. I play cello. <laughs> <laughs> and so she decides she'll, she'll bring the cello up there and start playing cello at the plants. Cause maybe they'll grow. Um, and so that's what she starts doing.
0: I love that. In So in this show, right? Like sun doesn't exist. Pe- people aren't going outside. Uh, we're eating glue, but still music flowers love like you, you you were were also hooked into the romance yeah uh, you know amidst all the trauma everybody's going yeah. through
5: well she has this like um idealistic view of the world she she thinks that love can exist she thinks the sun can come back and she thinks flowers can grow maybe if you just you know play loud enough play loud enough yeah and it's in twilight there's the lyric of um uh if i could bring back that speck of twilight, maybe it would bring back love, or if I could bring back love, then twilight might peek its head from above. So she's thinking if I bring back love, then maybe the sun will come back.
2: Aww.
5: Well, and that's
1: actually played out in all these relationships right. too, because mm-hmm. Puppy is trying to prove his love to Lolly and Ronwyn's trying to prove her love to Puppy and Sweet William's trying to prove his love Mm -hmm. to, you know, it's, everyone's trying to do something Mm -hmm. right. That will, will prove, their love to the other
5: person. Yeah, And they're all, you know, no one's given up on the world because of what it is. They're all moving forward and trying to continue to to live and find love and figure things out, you know?
0: And so you are going to read us some of our next scenes, right? We're going to see some of the cello interaction.
3: Yeah. Puppy has come back ostensibly for a cello lesson. Bronwyn thinks he wants a cello lesson from her. Uh, Madam Floyd is in the next room and she is Bronwyn keeps shooting her up with her drugs so she doesn't realize that she has a boy over. So Madam Floyd is pretty high right now. Um,
7: yeah.
3: <laughs> while the this is going on.
5: Yeah, and in the other room she thinks that she she thinks that she's 16 again and she is remembering like this love, this romance that she had. And so it's, she's having these like crazy delusions um, in this because the, yeah. While Bronwyn is
3: experiencing her own kind of love scene in the next right. room. I always wanted to play an instrument. I'll teach you. Uh, cool, but the yeah, number I one. Should. Sit behind me.
5: The cello rests here. Now the bow, relax the hand and let the fingers drape over the top.
3: Puppy places his hand on top of Bronwyn's.
5: Good, other hand on the fingerboard, first position.
3: Puppy places his other hand on hers.
5: Allow the bow and the weight of our hands to do all the work. Ready? And then she starts to play and Madame Floyd wakes up in the other room and she thinks she's hearing a symphony. (laughs) (laughs) and then she starts kissing her pillows and they're conks out and conks out she goes back to sleep um and so then they're left alone after playing together that was wonderful now you try it me yeah here i'll get up so you can scoot forward take the cello Put this hand, like this. Good. And this? The bow. The bow, right. Like this? You're really paying attention.
3: Aren't you gonna get behind me like I did with you?
5: Oh, all right. <laughs> now play. And then he horrible, terrible cello <laughs> playing from him. <laughs> And then Floyd wakes up again in the other room. She thinks it's a symphony again. Um, and then she falls back asleep. I wanted to ask, what's it like to love? Love? Uh, I don't know. But you and Lolly. Oh, yeah, right. Uh... And then Madame Floyd reminisces on this love and the tenderness of it. And she um, imagines the world could be like that again. And then she conks out again. That's the end of her song, Snoring.
4: Yeah, and that's a little magical moment in the show. is like when it mirrors, her, mm-hmm. her memories mirror what's happening.
5: Right, so where it's, it's it's this bravado comedy song. And then this this last bit is very sensitive and it it echoes, it's very beautiful. I think it's time for me to scram. Of course. Thanks for the cello lesson. Anytime. And by anytime, I mean, do you think you'll ever come back and see me? Will I come back? Uh, I don't know, man. I can try to get you a rose again. I mean, I'll get you one. I will get you one. Yeah? Yeah. How's tomorrow? I'm not doing anything.
1: And so I love this line. The, and then Puppy retrieves the pillowcase of drugs and scurries yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, this is where this is. That's a, I think a good place to stop. This is this is where I I I'm still I still wonder. You know, is he playing her? Is there some feelings oh. there? Sierra, what are you saying? Gosh, I have
0: strong feelings that you, I will not speak on let the
1: records. No, no, no. I mean, but th- that's what's great about it, right? Is you you sort of are conflicted a little bit. Like it seems so genuine. There seems to be a real connection here. And yet, you know, he's not gonna forget those drugs that he's stealing. Yeah.
4: And when you are on stage when it's that moment happens with them and you realize like it's something, you know, he's he's crossed you know that line of uh,
5: feeling <laughs> yeah yeah and i think and he yeah. is really conflicted about that, that here's this like you know to him a write-off of a person right and then mm-hmm. he is also confronted with this different concept of love you know uh, yeah. something that could be genuine and i think is really terrifying to him and that's you know why he you know besides for the drugs like why he runs out of there so quick
0: this is what yeah. i love about the show is that it's it's the comedy is in the situation right yeah. like everything about this is tragic right he oh, yeah. is a he is an addict um <laughs> she is being used for her aunt's drugs god but... why you
5: gotta say it like that
0: <laughs> but, we're gonna get there. but uh you know, but then we have to like watch him learn how to play the cello, Patrick Swayze ghost style. Like it's so.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it just
0: it's like man, like let me take this quick cello lesson to get my pillowcase of drugs. Like it's just the whole combo. I just love.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I was I was wondering where like where are they getting all these drugs in the, this this dystopian world? Is is this just part of what's happening? Is that that the, everyone's so. Uh, you know, messed up that now it's just, they're all drugging themselves out. My
3: idea was that they're, that probably when the world was going bad, uh, they got a crazy stockpile of meds and they probably are all different meds and probably don't mean any, they're not, it's not really kind of a clear thing. Like, Oh, you're treating this. It's just like, she got everything that existed and uh, she's got a lot of it, and uh, they say in the prologue that supplies are dwindling. So yes, uh, yes. So yeah, so so that also kind of accounts for the fact that Madame Floyd seems to have very different. Side effects to uh, the the drugs that she takes over the course of the show.
1: Well, I imagine it's like if you raid a candy store and you just dump all the candy in a big <laughs> yeah. pile, and then one day you got a spree, the other day you got a, a you know a juju fruit, and then you have a Jolly Rancher or something. It's like whatever, yeah. <laughs> just whatever you pick up that yeah. day. Yeah. And
5: you see in the prologue, you see the super come in with like a stockpile of cans. So he's coming from the outside with like a big Santa Claus bag full of stuff, and so he's going out and raiding, which is what. Lolly and Puppy are doing actually when they're coming, is they're looking to raid a building. Yeah.
4: Yeah. He goes out on the stockpile runs,
1: um, and that's in the prologue. Presumably, how many buildings of these are there? Like, is this like a microcosm of like hundreds of these sort of? Buildings, or, or are they among the last standing? They're among
3: the last in the area. We we referenced that everyone started moving south as the days got shorter and shorter. So so got the it. idea is that that everyone kind of vacated uh, because Madame Floy is bedridden. Um, obviously, they weren't in a position to do that, and and the super has an emotional attachment to his building. So uh, so it's not a common thing. Um, Puppy and Lolly are roamers. They roam around the neighborhoods looking for whatever's left behind. And every now and then they come across uh, a building like this one.
0: All right. So, so now we're, we're going to go into what's, what's towards the end of your second episode of the podcast, Bleeding Love. Uh, I'm about to spoil it all. I'll let you tell me what's going to happen.
3: Chill unless lesson happens. He takes all the drugs Uh Uh, she's been having to shoot up her aunt more and more because uh, she's getting wind of what's going on. And, uh, and so, so Bronwyn needs to keep her high. And uh, at some point they open up the cupboard where they keep all the drugs and realize that it's empty. And Bronwyn knows only one other person has ever been in that apartment and that's puppy. So she knows the culprit. And uh, this is her realizing that she's got to do something.
0: And got to do something as in help save her aunt, got to do something, go shake down puppy, got to do something.
3: Yes. Like a lot of things in the show, it's, yeah, there's like two answers uh, and both those answers are right. It's my shot, my
6: shot. Bronwyn opens the cupboard of pills and medicines.
8: (gasps) It's empty. Porca vaca! What happened? Where's, but only yesterday it was overflowing. Oh, oh no, oh, this is all my fault. I need to go out! You're leaving this flat! I have to get your medicine back! What'll happen to you without it? You can't go out there! It's dangerous. Oh! And the cuckoo of Bronwyn! My shirt. I'll be fast! Time for my shirt. Auntie Floyd! I'm so sorry!
6: Bronwyn makes a hasty retreat.
8: This used to be such a nice neighborhood! How could he do she pull through this? What will come of her? Should I pursue him? What happens then? Could I go to him? If not now, then when? Was anything real? Was he just pretending in order to steal? This can't be the ending! You got yourself in this position! Bronwyn, you have to summon some ambition To get what's yours You cannot stay behind these doors
6: Bronwyn hurries down the stairs to the ground floor vestibule where she opens the halcyon door She looks out at Kingfisher Avenue and the whole world
8: It's just a stoop Something to stand on It's just a block of grey cement Something to land on But it's the first step For these unused feet It's just a street There are no walls no villain. There's just the chance to flee this cage that I am still in. Life is a stranger. Now it's time to meet. It's just a street. Watching from that window.
6: puts on the trapper trooper hat tightens her shawl and for the first time since she was almost four she steps outside
8: it's
1: I'm so proud of her. <laughs> yeah.
4: that's, that's how I felt when I moved to New York City. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you did it, Bronwyn. Except don't die out there. I also, this time, the the steeple imagery is so interesting, right? Because it definitely feels like a kid who has never been outside. It's like the, she's been playing that here's the church, here's the steeple yes, game with her fingers exactly. alone exactly. In, the, in the apartment.
5: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of like I'm she's going to go that. out there and she's going to get married. Yeah. <laughs> it's like part like, of that's it. That's what happens. Yeah. That's what, yeah. She's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to get the drugs and we're going to get married. And that is where the um, concessions would be if if people need to sell concessions. Oh. If this were a two act. <laughs> yeah. I
0: see. I see. So note to any theaters out there in, yeah, in, yeah okay.
5: Oh, we
3: do have a joke in the script that cracked us up so much in the making of it that we, that we never can make land where Bronwyn sings this huge song to take one step outside, but she still has to get all the way across the street. So we had this idea that, for each step, she has to sing another huge <laughs> power ballad <laughs> to take each step to get to uh,
5: the yeah. other side of intermission, and that, motivate
0: herself across. That
5: song is called "Another Step," and it goes like this: It goes, "Another Step," and then the lights fade, and that's literally in the script. And then she just does it
0: over it. and over, like like. Yeah,
5: yeah. It's, yeah. We haven't. We, it's in the script. We've, we've tried it. it we haven't. Yeah, we we like the oh. idea of it, but it's yeah.
0: Well, here in this podcast, we kind of did it. I, uh, Kevin, I'm going to hop been super fast with the thought. I, it made me think this time, too. In addition to not knowing any real men, she doesn't actually know any real women because she keeps drugging her only female role model.
1: Right. <laughs> right yeah. All
0: right. Sorry, Kevin, go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say, so So this is – so we're recording this right before you've, you've uh, released episode three. So um, I guess – you know, my question is what happens from here? What, what can you tell us? I know you don't, you know, we, we want, you want you all to go listen to the podcast to get, get the full scope, but what can you tell us that happens here? Uh, cause this is the big ending. I've, I've listened to episodes one and two, and this is sort of the big ending of, of episode two. Um, and they're so
0: good. I have to say the radio yeah, play yeah. work you and your team have done over at uh, Broadway podcast network network is so good. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But what can you tell us? What can you tell us that happens
5: next? What are you comfortable sharing? She crosses the street and then Rebecca, Naomi Jones, belts out a really big number that she's amazing in. We won't tell you. Yeah, Lolly's
0: probably like, get out of here, Bronwyn. All we'll
5: tell you is that the song is called Lolly Pops. It's all we'll (laughs) (laughs) say. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, so,
3: and then Bronwyn, uh, the end of the scene, Bronwyn is... uh, humiliated or lolly wins let's just say that uh Bronwyn runs out and then um puppy meets up with her
1: well, I did want to ask before we get out of this story and and maybe I'll just ask these questions and you can give me yes or no answers <laughs> do we do we find out uh more about the super and who the super is and sort of why he's polishing rifles and all that yes. stuff yes uh, or, okay good
0: I love playing true or false with writers like this. Yeah,
1: good. Um, do we understand how they all got here in the sense of what happened in the world? Like, do we really know, um, you know, obviously we're all self-isolating because right. of COVID. Do we know, do we know really what happened to sort of tear their world apart? Or is that something that, that is left to our imaginations?
4: I think left to the, there are clues,
1: yeah. but
4: yeah. Left to your imagination. Could be, it could have be been a variety of things.
0: So if you're a listener right now and you're just dying and you've got to go listen to, to Bleeding Love to hear the end, where where should people go to, to hear the rest of the podcast?
5: <laughs> Anywhere podcasts are found. You can go to iTunes to podcasts, but there's also Spotify. There's literally wherever there are podcasts. You can just put in Bleeding Love and it'll come up. Bleeding Love, a post-apocalyptic new musical.
0: Awesome. And stay and finish listening to this one, but that's where you can <laughs> find, find the rest.
5: All right. So should we dive into just some more general
1: questions?
0: Yeah. Okay. So uh, one thing I know we wanted to, wanted to talk about is uh, sort of the development process. How long have you been working on Bleeding Love?
4: I think we were, we wrote it in like three years. It took us three years to write it.
3: I think it was quicker than that, actually. Oh. Mm-hmm. I think- uh, because it was right when I moved. It was, I think we we wrote it for about a year. Right. When we submitted to NAMPT, um, we it didn't even have an ending, actually, when we submitted. Um, the story had been something that had been percolating on my computer for for years before before that. But the, when the three of us got together, we wrote it in about a year. Uh, and then after NAMPT, we finished the show. And made some other changes, yeah.
0: and so that then was 20, like eight years ago, though. So, 20, that, so No you more. Know.
5: I was. I found demos looking uh, twenty ten. Wow! The wow! Wow! So I found. yeah,
0: I was gonna say like I I love it when shows. like become more relevant with time because so often what's what's hard is you spend all all these years working on a show and Mm -hmm. then something happens and it becomes a period piece but in the Uh, absolute reverse (laughs) 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 Uh, uh, here i'm like how could you how can you know me so well (laughs) Uh, yeah maybe it's
4: yeah Yeah. maybe it's because i've written a gazillion jingles like i'm someone who thinks that Musicals shouldn't take that long to write, but they do.
5: And I'm, um, you know, yeah. this one didn't take that long. <laughs> but the last song we wrote, which was years later, was Twilight, was actually the last song yes. we wrote.
0: Oh, yes. wow.
5: Yes. I was,
4: I kept bugging everyone like, Bron- Bronwyn needs an I want song. Because like, <laughs> we went to
5: BMI. To- and it was like I want. Yes. To-
0: <laughs> How much finessing happens to these to these certain story moments, and and in particular your opening. So, you know, we the opening really sets the tone of this post apocalyptic world. We get to know the super. We start start to slowly understand uh, the rest of your cast. But you've had a ton of different versions of this, right?
5: I think the first bit of music, um, Arthur came up with like. Um themes. Right? Do you remember art? There were um
4: I think so. You, the first I thing do. of like
5: what w- what will be the musical landscape and um because one of the inspirations for this was um uh, Umbrellas uh, of Cherbourg. Yes. Um um yeah Michelle
4: Legrand. Yeah, Legrand. And Michelle Legrand was like yeah, yeah. such an idol of mine and such an inspiration. And he wrote the the music to the summer of forty-two. Um this that beautiful can, I don't know if you can hear this. Yeah. Right?
0: Totally.
4: So it's yeah. that, that romantic kind of sentimental yearning, um, and that's what we were going for.
5: And I, I sent you guys um, Arthur's first clip that he sent to me. It's, it's called Bloom, because this was actually called Bloom. The Rose
0: Metaphor!
5: Nice! All right, let's listen to that.
1: So that was the first theme?
5: This is the first theme that you guys came up with? Yeah, which, which is pretty much the... With for a few notes, is the opening of the show, actually. Big instruments have come a long way since 2010.
4: <laughs> that chord progression and that music comes and goes throughout the musical and in different songs, if you look out for it, you'll hear that progression. So it's a running kind of, you know, motive throughout the play.
5: Do you, are there any yeah. examples
4: you could tell us? Yeah, the um, well, the B section in uh, Lollipops. I think the ending of Bleeding Love, the song, it's
5: kind of all through, oh, right. the, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's an intruder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's in a lot of spots. I right? love that. And then the um, what it, the opening that we heard, that each day we wake, there's no daybreak, that thing. That was a another thing that Arthur came yeah. up with of just, like, the feeling. And when we were trying to figure out an initial opening... I loved yeah. it so much. And I was like, let me just try writing music right yeah. through. i mean, maybe. writing lyrics to that music. Cause it was just so beautiful. Yeah. Um, I just, I had this thing,
2: you
4: know, and then the big chorus, the big pop classical chorus. Yeah.
0: And it's kind of lame Izzy to me too. Like oh, yeah. I, I'm with mm-hmm. everybody in prison and <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> literally.
5: <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that there was um, this thing of like, is this like an overture? Is this a prologue? It went between different things. What is this? And so then the first, I think this actually was the first version of um, of what ended up being the prologue. If you'll if you'll play Kingfisher Avenue, which is the avenue that she crosses, it's Kingfisher Avenue, is what they live on, um, and you could hear the first version.
0: She's so sober in this version.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> Who's singing this? Harris.
0: Harris, you're a man of many talents. I knew this, but now I really got to really know it.
3: Harris always sang all the demos in the right octave, no matter if the character is male or female.
4: Yes, and the musical style's more chorus line. Than...
0: <laughs> well, it's so interesting to hear, you know, because in, in the first bit you played, the, the musical um, uh, the, the musical feeling is so yeah. one-to-one with what's come across right and here yeah, uh, this is- you get a sense of the characters really well but the but the musical story has evolved
5: yeah it sets up sort of a different musical you know the the tone of this this is a little more it's more alan yeah. yeah yeah like
0: so along the lines of the joke where she has to sing a power ballad every step that like you just haven't quite fit in, but like, I love, I love that. I can totally see a theater having a great time staging that. Do you have any other things like that, that like goes in, comes out, goes in, comes out, but like that you, you love for the characters, but doesn't quite hit the way you want. I think
5: that's the only thing that we, I think for musicals, we
3: had a very kind of, Unusually, I think, straightforward process in that uh, there's not a lot of cut material. We did go, we, 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 Harris and I would meet and spot the songs. um, And then Harris would meet with Art and they would write the songs. uh, And we almost progressed uh, sequentially, starting with Bleeding Love through. Uh, through summer, and then mm-hmm. we filled in some things and then we kind of circled around getting the beginning right. We had one beginning um, that we recorded in our first demo that we presented at NAMT. We went to the Johnny Mercer colony at Goodspeed and we wrote a second beginning and then Soren Mueller produced a workshop uh, that uh, of just to work on the beginning in which we took elements from... The, the NAMP beginning, elements from the Johnny Mercer beginning, and then new elements, and wove that all together into the beginning that we now have.
0: Wow, yeah. I love yes. that. Mm-hmm. And
4: us all being together for a whole week, uh-huh. um, to just in a house at Johnny Mercer at Goodspeed was amazing. Yeah. And during our time there... Connecticut that part of Connecticut got the biggest snowstorm it had ever gotten perfect like 30 something inches of snow and we have, there's pictures on I think on the website right. Harris? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, yeah 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 so it, it, it was kind of amazing mm-hmm.
0: and so this was gonna be part of my question uh, so so tell me the rest of the development trajectory because I, I want to ask you about your your Denmark production sure.
5: I mean, I think one of the things, I think one of the reasons there's not a lot of cut material is that. So, Jason had been working on this for years, right? And so, when we first discussed it, he like sent me this like huge document that had all of these ideas. I want to go
3: back because it's actually funnier than that.
5: So, I had this story that I've just been
3: adding notes to on my computer for years. And I pitch him the story of Bleeding Love, and he goes, yeah, we want to do something commercial. Do you have anything else? <laughs> Don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> and so, so, I, so I was like, okay. And then we, you know, it was an open question, but but nothing ever came of it. Then it, it was almost like exactly a year later, he called me and he was like, "What was that roast?" <laughs> um, and at that point, I was like, "Oh, I already pitched it to him. I'm just gonna send him." a file that was really meant for nobody's eyes ever. It was just like notes. And I forwarded that to him and he, I can't believe he read it and I can't believe it made sense, but he called the next day and he's like, we totally want to do this thing. And then uh, we all met on the roof of my building and talked about it. Please
0: and, tell me and it has a greenhouse.
3: It doesn't, I imagine one.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well that's actually a good time for me to ask my question which was where where did this so it seemed like um jason the initial idea came from you uh uh, did you always imagine it as a musical was it a short story was it a film first? and also what like what inspired you to and then i'll let you answer both so what inspired you to the story because i could see today now but this was a while back did you imagine this would be a world we're living in was there something else that were, were you thinking about these these
3: themes um you know, are you a, are you a prepper? And you ready. <laughs> yeah, I'm no. Um, I so every time I write something, I kind of finish and I go, "Oh, I like how I did that. I don't like that." Uh, and and then I try with the next thing to work on whatever I was unhappy about in my previous project. And so I'd been writing these very like well structured plays mostly. And I wanted something emotional because I felt like they'd gotten all into the head. And and that's what's great about these guys is their music and the, their songwriting is so open-hearted and emotional. But So the story began, I thought, I'm just going to make a list of everything in my life that's ever had a really powerful emotional uh, connection for me. And hopefully things that were very idiosyncratic, and I kind of worked through my whole life, and and I remembered uh, this punk singer named Nina Hagen, uh, Trapper Trooper Hats, Music of Cellos, uh, Brownstones. Like I just made a big list of things, and the idea being, if these things have an emotional pull over me, maybe they will add up to something and mean something. And one of the items on that list was an Oscar Wilde short essay a fairy tale um called the nightingale and the rose and that that had like uh the suggestion of of kind of movement and action that i thought i could i could uh build off of and then i started adding other elements to my list and it just kind of grew um and it didn't happen in a in a quick process. It was a slow process. I always imagined it as a musical. I think I originally thought it was going to be a film musical, uh, something uh, through sung and a film musical. Um, that was my original still idea for be. it. It still might Yeah, it, it still, <laughs> still might be. Yeah,
4: <laughs> sung through. Uh,
3: so yeah. and it, And the story, like I never had, I hadn't finished it. And I remember when Harris came over for the first talk before art, uh, I actually visit revisited it in a few years. And he was like, well, tell me the story. And it was actually a really clarifying thing, because in just that telling of the story, uh, I filled in some blanks and things that had been hanging on Uh dissipated and, and fell away from it and it kind of was just like there in that telling of it and then i wrote down what i wrote and then we worked from there
5: yeah i mean i think one of the i think one of the smartest things we did was like really like making sure the book was ready before we started writing songs because otherwise then you write songs you throw things out and you know, yeah um it's like a dog chasing his tail yeah I mean, like, we spent time of where I was just like asking Jason questions of like to clarify the story to make sure it was as tight as possible before we move forward with the songs. And so he did all the work in in stripping down this big thing into what it is today, you know. And um, we also and we designed
3: it. the whole yeah. score. Uh, right. We we spotted we
5: spotted the entire score. Certain things crept in over the years. Yeah, I think you were like there was. Okay, there's eight songs. It was sort of like this. There were like restrictions on it. There's going to be, right? It was yep. There's eight songs. Okay, so you have to figure out what these are going to be. And and that's how Up There, Up There is a song between um, uh, The Super and Sweet William happened. It's a duet. There are two different worlds talking about the same thing. But it was because I only had eight songs. So it was like, okay, well, I guess that's a duet then. <laughs> well,
0: and I've gotta give a shout out. Like, make sure to go listen to the to the full podcast, because sweet William might be my favorite oh, character on yeah. the show. Yes. I mean Yeah. And Taylor
5: is amazing. Taylor Trench is like so good.
0: Oh, and it's all in the name. I mean he is it is just so like, yeah. oh sweet William. Yeah, no,
5: no, no. Yeah. <laughs>
1: What I'm struck by though is these themes and, and, and Sierra touched on this earlier. I mean, we have everything from, as you mentioned, gun violence, climate change, um, the sort of need to connect to each other, um, in sort of a disconnected world, drug abuse, the power of music to heal, all these themes that are all part of this have become even more, uh, present. And I mean, did you ever imagine a world (laughs) where all of a sudden literally, you know, art becomes life, um, in the sense that, you know, now we are actually all sequestered at home. And there's a lot of these questions running around in our head. And, and um, Oh, they
4: planned it. They planned it 10 years ago.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is a conspiracy yeah. theory. This is like the 5G five,
0: five stuff.
5: <laughs>
0: so you have had, you've had one production of the show, right?
5: In Fredericia, also oh, Spirit, of Spirit of Broadway. We had two productions and we Great. had... A couple like student workshop thing,
0: and the the Fredericia production was that translated into Danish? Yes, I've got to know what the process is like, especially with like scansion of lyrics. Like, what? How did you do the translation?
4: Well, it's incredibly difficult. Mads um, Nielsen, who's who was a co writer of a hero tale, the musical that was just supposed to be in Fredericia Theater this month, Mads, and that's how I got to know him. He translated uh, "Bleeding Love." in the Danish, and it's incredibly difficult. What,
5: what they, they do is um, they, they translate it, and then they translate it back, and they give you the, the translation back, and they had removed all ironic humor, they yeah, were, yeah, because there's, <laughs> they don't have irony yeah, in Denmark, yes. and so I right. like...
4: <laughs> yeah, he no, he explained to me that there's a lot of the, the lyrics, you know, Harris's incredibly colorful lyrics, there's not the, the exact translation, there's no words for that, you know, plenty of <laughs> times, so that you know, they have to, like, Simplify, so it's kind of like watching an an opera being translated, and it's very simplified.
3: But I I remember too seeing the show in in Denmark, and it would be funny because they'd be speaking in a language I don't understand, and then they would go, (laughs) Badass Babe, uh, like these little (laughs) English words would filter in, and it was really interesting to see, you know, what those words were. Badass Babe was definitely one of them.
4: Wow, and Soren Muller is he's the great champion of this musical of getting it produced there he you know and getting the demos made and he's just yeah
0: you have you know, a beautiful recording out of he's, that
4: he's just such a still a, a part of it and you know yeah
1: and the, the visuals look great you know actually, oh, it was uh, stunning the trailer it was gorgeous
3: yeah it's yeah.
1: yeah and i think that's a piece of this show i mean i have to say the sound design on the podcast is is really wonderful but you can in your head you can imagine what the visuals of the show will yeah, be. Yeah,
4: and that's one know. of the magic magical things about the podcast is it allows you to use your imagination. It's like kind of when you read a book. You just you imagine that world. And that's so special. My
5: my buddy Rick did the sound design who um, he did midsomar and he just won an Emmy this year for free solo. He's amazing.
1: And why the cello? Is there a reason the cello? You just love the cello or? I love the cello. I'm...
3: It was that or vibraphones. And I thought cello was just much
1: more. Cello is a, a way more sexy instrument. Yeah. Yeah. You can get me to see almost anything
5: with a cello. So you had me at cello. You had
0: me at cello is just my favorite thing though that yeah. just happened.
5: <laughs> but in the spirit of Broadway production, the cello was cardboard, which was like something that Jason and I had spoken about, a, char- a cardboard cello of where the style of the show could be something where the cello could be cardboard. Because it, it was steam, steampunk. Right? Yeah, steampunk. They did a beautiful job, but yeah, the the graphic novel feel of the show. You
1: know? Well, that's an interesting question, though. Is how much of this world is is literal? I mean, are are there are there places where even in their own like these characters are so stir crazy and and in such a, a, a surreal world where even we start to not trust what's real and what's not real and. um you know, uh, I, I don't know. Or is that part of this? Is is there sort of an element where, where you know, these things are
5: representational and not, not so... I vital? think it just depends on the production. You know, so there could be one. Um, you know, we've also talked about the production that is, you know, just on a little tiny black box with, like, one picture frame as a window and, like, three blocks where you do, like, the stairs and the actors have to move the blocks around, you know, and just, like, paper... Um, snow and just piano,
4: just a one piano, yeah. or it could be an orchestra. Yeah, <laughs>
5: but then yeah, but really, it should be like a big orchestra. Um, yeah, I mean, no, the real like- and then we also talk about the epic, like uh, yeah.
3: metropolitan opera production, huge stage, <laughs> oh, yeah. huge symphony orchestra, cast of six, like little tiny, <laughs> yeah. on this enormous <laughs> stage.
5: Yeah,
0: what gives you the sense they're the only folks who stayed north?
5: Right, exactly. You know, but yeah.
0: wow. Thank you so much for being here with us digitally. It's such a, a pleasure to get uh, more information about the show and uh, be exposed to your podcast world. It's uh, it's been wonderful to have you.
4: Thank you for having us. It's been amazing to be here, Sarah. Thank yeah. you so Thank much, you. and Kevin. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, uh,
1: give us uh, let us know where we can get more information, both about Bleeding Love, but also about um, each of you,
5: if if we if our listeners want to follow up and learn more about what other so things you're working on like.
4: our website
2: yeah maybe?
5: bleeding oh. it's bleeding we also have facebook bleeding love musical we have instagram bleeding love musical and we have twitter bleeding love mu. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and and we've covered a lot of uh uh tra- trajectory but are there any special thanks we should make sure to do before we close out
5: um yeah so are uh, the producers of the podcast. Um, so that's uh, Katie Rosen, Kent Nicholson, and Steve Separito, and then Broadway Podcast Network, uh, uh, Dory Bernstein, and um, and Alan Seals. Um, and so those are the big thank yous. And, and to NAMP, because really, you know, we had written this show and we had never had a reading. We had nothing. And so when yeah. NAMP chose us, that was a, a real life change for us. Cause it meant we yeah. would have had a career. It's <laughs> like, yes, just, like yeah. you know, it's like, Oh, there, these are real writers, you know? And so it, right. it gave us a trajectory and that's why we've been working on it for years. So like NAMMT really changed our lives.
3: Yeah. yeah all NAMT NAMT the opportunities came from Namp. Yeah.
4: yeah. Yeah. What you guys do is incredible. Yeah. And, uh,
0: I'm blushing. I we love, I
4: love we love Namp.
0: <laughs> yay! Well, thank you so much, and Namp loves you back. So, uh, thank you so much for being here, Kevin. Anything else? We should you have to sing us out.
1: Yeah. So this is a musical theater podcast, as you know. So we uh, we always end on a song, and so uh, you guys have been nice to share us uh, share with us one of the songs uh, from episode three, which to this date, uh, as we're recording this, has not been released. So a pre-release song, and we thank you for that. Uh, explain a little bit about this song and what leads up to it uh, before we play.
3: This is basically uh, where they admit their they, things have gotten the worst between them. They know who each other is now, and um, this is them coming back together. And it's the big love song. And, and when we sat down uh, with Art, I was like, they had they had a couple of duets spotted for these two characters. And I told them they got one. (laughs) And it has to be the biggest, best love duet uh, they could uh, come up with. And this is what they delivered.
8: It's snowing. No. Can you hear it?
7: Where's the storm? Something happened. I feel warm. Can the streets start to thaw? Suddenly, I'm in awe. Is this
8: Before this,
7: I wanted one real kiss.
6: Bronwyn takes Puppy to the greenhouse on the roof, where plants are thriving, flowers are blooming, only the rose bush has yet to blossom.
8: Whoa! What's this? The greenhouse. This is what flowers are like when they're real. How? Okay, so all the plants were, like, dead, but I knew when Sweet William's mother was alive, she came up here, and she used to sing, and I thought, I play cello! So I started coming up here with my cello, and I'd wear your trooper-trapper-trapper-trooper hat, and I'd play till my shoulder hurt, and... It sounds so crazy. Probably didn't do anything.
7: You were getting me a rose? I didn't think it was possible.
8: You were so sad, and it looked like you loved her so much.
7: Is there roses, really?
8: Just one. Here. But it hasn't bloomed yet. Wow! I don't know if I did anything, really. It probably wasn't the music. It might have been the grow lights and the fertilizer. But all the same, I played music. And look around.
7: Music can be very, very useful.
2: Is this
6: overtakes them, and takes them to the greenhouse
1: floor. For more information about One Foot Productions, you can visit onefootprod.com.
0: And for more information about the National Alliance for Musical Theater, you can go to www.namt.org.